Most of us have experienced the difference of being told about something and actually experiencing that something. I mean, when you're told about something, it gets you excited. You, you think, well, that's interesting. That's the, uh, you know, that sounds like a nice thing to, to describe. Thanks for telling me about that. But when you actually see it, you bring out the phone and take a selfie so that you can prove that you were there at the Grand Canyon or that you were there at the Eiffel Tower or, or that you were there at that really big buffet that just went on forever and ever. You want to show everybody what it was that you personally experienced it, that you were really there. In history, we have various ways that we verify different facts. Now, obviously, there weren't selfies made through most of history, maybe recent history, but not for most of it. But we do have other sources, typically written accounts of what happened. Fortunately, People were actually there when George Washington crossed the Potomac to get ready for that battle. People were actually there to, to hear the words of Abraham Lincoln and, and write them down for a score. It's what we call primary sources. Eyewitnesses of that event. Sometimes the person who actually was a part of that event writes it down for us so that we can remember now, in the New Testament day, in the Roman world, the religions of that day had absolutely no primary sources. If you wanted to know, did Zeus really throw those lightning bolts at Apollo? You just had to take their word for it, the words of the myths and the stories. Well, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul emphasizes the distinct difference between all the other religions of his day and what he was describing in Christ, particularly in the accounts of the resurrection, the fact that Jesus truly rose from the grave is central to the gospel. This is not just a myth. It's not just a story. There were eyewitness accounts of people who, when Paul was writing these words and what we're going to read here in 1 Corinthians in just a moment, when he was writing this letter... There were people who were still alive who had been there, who saw it, who had physically witnessed the resurrected Savior. Well, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, where we'll start and some verses following, Paul recites what probably was an early Christian confession, which repeatedly emphasizes the historicity of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And the connection of those events to what was prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures. The events not only occurred, there were not only people who could say, yes, I was there. I saw the empty tomb. Yes, I was there. I saw Jesus. I saw the nail prints in his hands. Yes, I was there. I ate with him. Yes, I heard his voice. He is alive. There were not only people who were there that saw the resurrected Christ. They could also give testimony to the fact that those events they witnessed exactly corresponded with the words of the prophets, with the words of the Old Testament. Jesus did exactly what the prophets had foretold the Messiah would do. We pick up the account here in 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. 
that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the Twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to the apostles. And last of all, He appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. In this Easter season, we celebrate more than just a story, more than just a symbol, more than just a metaphor. When it comes to the resurrection of Christ, this is real. This morning we remember the cross. Palm Sunday commemorates that day when Jesus entered Jerusalem to the cheers of the crowd. We know, however, that in just a few short days, those cheers would turn to calls for his crucifixion. Many who had been in those crowds that day laying the palm branches before Jesus as he entered into the city. They were still alive when Paul was writing 1 Corinthians. They would remember the sounds of the day. Perhaps remember the sound of their own voice welcoming the Messiah. And only a few short days later calling for His execution. That was something you wouldn't forget. The events of that week, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, the most Pivotal events in their life. The most pivotal events in all of history. You couldn't forget something like that. Paul talked about it everywhere he went. Then verse 3 he says, For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. Paul says, What I was told by these people who were there, these people who witnessed Christ entering Jerusalem, who witnessed His trial, who witnessed His death on the cross, and then witnessed His resurrection, they saw it. And this is what they told me, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. In this simple phrase, Paul announces this extraordinary event. Christ died for our sins. Now again, remember, there were people alive who had witnessed that horrible day. Paul isn't writing about some story that can't be verified. He's writing about events that that people in Corinth very likely could have known people or perhaps have actually been there that day. This wasn't ancient history to them. This was current events. It would be similar to us talking about the horrific events of 9-11. Now, there wasn't any of us there personally present, but we know people who were. We've seen their testimony. We've heard their witness of that horrific day. Well, well, Paul, in what he's writing about in 1 Corinthians, very similar kind of event. He knew people who were there that day. The people he's writing in Corinth, they knew people who were there the day that Jesus died on the cross. 
for our sins. So Paul emphasizes the historicity of the cross, that this really happened. Second, Paul describes the reason for the cross. Christ died for our sin. Now, without that truth, the cross is just another senseless tragedy among the millions of senseless tragedies that litter history. People die cruel deaths all the time, often for no apparent reason. Innocent people are put to death at the hands of corrupt officials all the time. But this was different. Jesus' death was not just some cruel twist of fate. Jesus died on the cross for a reason. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sin. He died because the wages of sin is death. He who had no sin became sin for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This was not just some senseless tragedy. This was God's purpose from the very beginning. Which leads to the third thing Paul emphasizes here. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. If there was any question that this was God's plan, those questions were put to rest in the Old Testament prophecies. The law described the reason the prophets foretold the answer. Everything Jesus did was just as God had said it would be. The cross was in fulfillment to exactly what the prophets had said the Messiah was going to do. Holidays have all kinds of traditions that have developed through the years. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with traditions. But sometimes those traditions become such a formality that we forget what the traditions actually mean. And the traditions become activities in and of themselves. We do them because that's what we've always done. Don't let that happen with Easter. During this week, as we remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we are not just following tradition for the sake of tradition. Jesus really did this. The cross really happened. The traditions that we observe, the hymns, the gathering together on Palm Sunday and then on Easter Sunday, the Lord's Supper, they all point to a real event in history that has enormous significance for our life. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. We remember the cross, but we also remember the resurrection. Paul continues with his profoundly straightforward account. Again, then verse 3, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. In verse 4, Paul recounts two more realities. First, 
that Jesus was buried. Now, now that may not have tremendous significance to us, but it would have for the people who were reading Paul's letter. There were those in that day who were arguing that Jesus didn't really die and therefore was not truly resurrected from the dead. That, that the cross had simply made him seem to be dead. It became known as the swoon theory, that, that somehow Christ had just gone unconscious or fainted from all the pain of the cross and seemed to appear to be dead, but, but wasn't really dead. Paul points out the obvious problem with that. He was buried. They placed him in a tomb. Now, in those words, Paul is pointing out at least two very important facts to understand. First, Jesus was crucified by Roman soldiers who were professionally trained in killing people. They knew how to get it done. Because if they didn't get it done, if somehow a prisoner was not executed and escaped, those Roman soldiers would pay with their life. That was the Roman law. If you failed in following through with the execution, then you would take their place. And so they made sure it got done. They knew how to do it. And they made sure that it was done completely between the beating before the cross, the agony of the cross itself, the spear in his side. They were absolutely sure that their job was complete. A second, the people who buried Jesus were sure. Joseph of Arimathea and those who helped him take the body of Christ to the tomb. They would not have left Jesus there if they thought he was alive. They buried him because they knew it was over. They buried him because this man that they called teacher, this man that they called the miracle worker, this man was dead. And so they left him there in the tomb. Jesus was executed by soldiers who knew how to carry out an execution. He was buried by people who would not have done so had there been any question that Jesus might have somehow not been dead. All with those simple words discounts all of those theories that were floating around. He was buried. And then the words that change all of history. That he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. The resurrection surprised the disciples. It shocked the Romans. But it was no surprise to God. This was his plan all along. To defeat death once and for all. And then as he did with the cross, Paul emphasizes the historicity of the resurrection. He goes through a list of eyewitnesses. Peter, the disciples, 500 other believers. 
many of whom were still living at the time that Paul wrote the letter. James and the apostles, people with whom the Corinthian believers would have been familiar or perhaps even have known personally, they witnessed the resurrected Savior. And then Paul. He saw him too. It's what changed everything for Paul. Paul had been trying to stop the message of Christ, had been imprisoning and executing Christians for saying anything about Jesus. And all of a sudden, everything changed for Paul. He went from trying to stop the message of Christ to sharing the message of Christ. What was it? He saw Jesus resurrected there on the Damascus road. For Paul, there was no question. This was real. In television and movie legal dramas, the surprise witness has has long been a, a, a staple. You know, from Perry Mason to Law and Order, that last-minute discovery of, of someone who saw what happened, and it changes the whole show. The, the guilty person who was about to be set free winds up being convicted and thrown in jail. The innocent person about to go to prison is set free, and the true criminal is put behind bars when the surprise witness comes forward and tells what really happened. The real truth is that very rarely happens in real life. For one thing, those involved in trying the case, both the prosecution and the defense, they are required by law to reveal all of their witnesses, to give each other a list of those that are going to be on the stand. The the proceedings are designed to prevent surprises. Paul here is being very specific. The cross... And the resurrection, they were no surprise to God. It was just as He planned it to be. It happened just the way the Scriptures said that it would. What we celebrate this week are nothing short of real historical events. They are verified by eyewitness accounts, by the the testimony of people who were there, who saw it. They are carefully related by witnesses like Peter, John, and Paul. Those accounts preserve for us So that today we can join with believers across the ages and give thanks that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Peter, the disciples, 500 believers, James and Paul. All that so today, we could have forgiveness. And everlasting life in Him, the risen Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, today we give you thanks that we join together to sing and give testimony to something real. This is not just some story. It's not just some myth, some fable that has a nice 
thought that we could live here, leave here feeling better. No, Heavenly Father, these are actual events, real occurrences in history that allow us to leave here with life everlasting. And God, that's our prayer this morning. That the cross, burial, and resurrection of Christ will be lifted up this day in such a way that every person in this place will recognize the reality. Help us, Heavenly Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.